What's up, my crab community? Happy Friday. It suddenly dawned on me that every episode, every intro, I say happy Friday or happy Monday. And I realized that 90% of you probably don't listen to this episode the first day it comes out. So please bear with me. Introductions and conclusions have never been my strong suit with podcasting. I feel so awkward just doing a cold open like, hey, everybody, let's jump into today's episode. And I suck at concluding or like wrapping up the episode. Follow me on Instagram at Sophie Radman. It's just so repetitive, but I don't know how else to do it. So I'm sorry. Um, On Instagram, I asked you to take a poll and let me know what you wanted to hear on today's episode. Either we could have gone the traditional route with the typical power pressure, cancer call out, or... I have recently finished two books, so I'm really eager and excited to give you reviews and recommendations if you're looking for a book. So I asked you to vote between typical um, power pressure or book reviews, and book reviews won, which was actually very um, relieving for me, A, because I love to talk about books, B, I actually don't have to take any notes. When I do power pressure, I'm constantly like reading astrology charts and um, learning what's going on with the moon and the sun and the planets and the stars and I'm taking notes and it's like research versus just talking about books, not a lot of research involved, purely me just talking about two books that I love. So today is going to be all about books. Specifically, if you know me, if you've been listening for a while, you know that the majority of my tastes in movies and TV shows and books, pop culture is within the horror genre, suspense, thriller, mysteries. So today's two books are both horror-based. They would probably belong in the horror genre, but they are two entirely different sub-genres of horror. There's like murder mystery horror, there's torture horror, there's ghost horror, there's spooky child horror, there's haunted house horror. You know what I mean? So Even though these two would be classified as horror, they are completely different. So let's jump into the first book I read called House of Leaves by Mark Z. Danielewski. It is a work of fiction. And this book is hard to explain because it is unlike anything I've ever read. And purely for that reason, I highly recommend it because there are books that you enjoyed and you liked and a few months will go by, but they'll just kind of fade into the background. Like you'll rearrange your bookshelf and you'll think like, oh yeah, I did like that book, but I honestly haven't thought about it in years. House of Leaves is a book that I will remember and constantly think about for the rest of my life because it is so bizarre. It is so unique and a genre of horror that I have never experienced before because it happens in layers, right? Think about a TV. You're watching TV, and on the TV on the screen, there's another TV. And on that TV, there's another TV. And Or it's like looking at yourself in a mirror. Remember, as a kid, you would go into those fun houses, and you would see yourself in this like funky mirror, and you would see 100 reflections of yourself back to back to back. It's a, per- it's a mirror. It's an image within an image within an image, a TV within a TV within a TV within a TV. That's what House of Leaves is like. It's a story within a story within a story. Three layers, three different people and characters. So bear with me. It gets a little bit complicated. I'm going to do my best to explain it as simply as possible. So let's start with layer one. Image one, TV screen number one. There is a family. 
that goes by the last name Novitson. So there's Will Novitson, his wife, and their two children. They purchase a new house in uh, Virginia, I think. They go away <clears throat> to Seattle for a wedding or for vacation. They come back to their home in Virginia, and they notice something is immediately off. Um, there's no signs of invasion. Nothing's broken. Nothing's been stolen. But every mem- member of the family can tell that the energy has just shifted and there is something dark and sinister here that is making everybody very uncomfortable. They quickly realize what it is. So one day the wife is decorating and she's placing shelves on the wall and organizing her bookshelf. And one minute she stacks up all her books perfectly against the wall. The next minute the books fall onto the floor. And she's like, wait, I just measured the length of this wall and the books fit perfectly. Why all of a sudden now are the books falling? The family realizes that the house from the inside is growing in size. The walls are expanding, the door frames are expanding or shrinking. They start to discover random doors that weren't there before and the doors lead to hallways that weren't there before but when they step outside and measure the home from the exterior the dimensions have always been the same when they purchased the house so the house is growing and shrinking and changing its blueprint every few minutes and the husband will decides to open one of these new doors and walk into this new hallway and see what's there. And basically, that hallway is like a black void. There's, the air is different, there's no light, there's no sound, there's no echo, there's no, there's, there's no moisture in the air. It's like almost being in space. It's almost unearthly. And long story short, every member of the family starts to go crazy So it's very psychological, very in your mind. You never truly know what's going on. And Will is, his profession is a photojournalist. So it's his job to actually document strange and bizarre situations with um, cameras, either a video or film, photography. So while he's exploring these foreign, unknown passageways, he's documenting everything through film and video. But of course, the hallways are pitch black and um, it's very hard to capture. So Will's collection of videos and photographs of these mysterious hallways becomes known as the Novitson Record. This, his collection of videos and, photo- and photographs end up going viral right? As all urban legends do, like the Amityville horror, right? Like the Amityville horror, Amityville horror, that house in Amityville, um, a real family was murdered there because a real man kind of went crazy and murdered his own family. But of course, when something ends up on the internet, it becomes a game of telephone and everyone has their own interpretation of what happened. Like, was he crazy? Was he possessed by the devil? Was he just like, did he just secretly hate his family? So the Novitson collection of photos and videos goes viral on the internet. And that's when we introduce layer two of the story, a man named Zapano. Is, this, is it Zampano or Zapano? I think it's Zampano. 
doesn't really matter. So a man named Zampano gets his hands on the Nobitson record. And he starts, you know, doing what the internet loves to do. He starts trying to draw conclusions. And he starts adding little notes, little citations, little annotations about what he thinks is happening at the Novitson home. Purely by observing and watching the Novitson record, Zampano himself starts to go crazy. And you can tell that his mind starts to shift through his use of citations. So day one, Zampano is reviewing the Novitson record. His notes and citations are very normal human language. My thoughts on this hallway suggest that, uh, you know, very understandable English. By the end, when he starts getting deeper and deeper into the Novitson record, Zampano's citations and notes no longer make sense. To the, to the reader, it becomes clear that he has gone crazy. Now we move into level three, a man named Johnny. So Zampano lived in an apartment years before, and it just so happens that Johnny has now moved into that same apartment. We later learned that Zampano died, I think of old age, that apartment went up for sale again, and now Johnny has moved in. Johnny, during the moving in process, finds Zampano's notes of the Novitson record. So now it's Johnny reading Zampano, Zampano reading the Novitson record, And then, like clockwork, Johnny also starts to go crazy. Johnny is reading Novitson's notes about the Novit... No, sorry. Johnny is reading Zampano's notes about the Novitson record. And Johnny is a little bit of a sketchball. He's a drug addict. He's like a wannabe famous LA guy hanging out at on Hollywood Boulevard and he's a womanizer. We don't like very, Johnny very much as a as a reader. We find him very annoying and we find him just to be like a typical fuckboy. So it's actually kind of enjoyable as the reader to experience Johnny's demise into madness. So take what you will. Um, It's almost like the movie The Ring. Like anyone who watches The Ring will die in seven days. Anyone who watches or even looks at the Novitson record starts to go crazy and lose their mind. So you have three storylines. You have the Novitson family moving into their house and realizing their house is constantly growing in size. Then you have Zampano, the first true critic of the Novitson record, putting in his notes and thoughts. And then you have Johnny reviewing Zampano's notes and also reviewing the Novitson record for himself. How you can tell that which um, which storyline you're following changes in font. So let's say New Times Roman is the original Novitson family. Then you have Comic Sans, let's say, that is Zampano. And then you have Papyrus or whatever the fuck third font you can think of representing Johnny's thoughts and feelings. So not only is it a mind trip in that sense, where you have three storylines happening at once, but I don't want to give away too much because 
part of House of Leaves charm is the surprise you get on every page. And I don't want to take that surprise away from you. But I just will tell you that this is a book that will quite literally, quite literally have you turning the pages right side up, left side down, and and upside down. Because um, the format of each page is unlike anything you've ever seen. I was... I didn't know this at the time. My husband read House of Leaves years ago. That's why we had it in the house. And he told me, he was like, even if you don't like the characters or you don't like the storyline, you're going to walk away finishing that book remembering the massive impact it had on you as like a book lover because you'll never experience a book like that ever again. So I'm in the bath. That's when I do a lot of my reading. I take a bath every Sunday, part of my self-care for at least an hour. And that's when I do so much reading. It feels so good. But I'm in the bath reading House of Leaves. And I was legit furious because um, I, so I take a bath in the dark with just candles, like no light. So I have my book light very strategically placed at the top of the book. But with House of Leaves, there's, there are chapters where you actually physically have to turn the book upside down because because the words are, excuse me, because the words are written upside down. So here I am in the fucking bathtub, like butt naked, maneuvering. I'm like fucking Ross Geller with the couch, like pivot, pivot, you know? Sorry, I hope I didn't just blow out your eardrum. I'm like fucking pivoting this book upside down in the bath butt naked, trying not to get the book wet and trying not to have my reading light fall in the water. And I was like, God damn it, this book is so fucking annoying. And that's the point. I actually read, um, so I use Goodreads. It's a phenomenal uh, like reading book website where you can actually ask the author questions. And if the author just so happens to also be on Goodreads, you will hear from the author himself. So I typed in House of Leaves onto Goodreads. And Daniel Lewski has said, like, my goal is to actually make you annoyed. Like, I want you to read this book and feel frustrated and feel like it's a challenge. Like, it's this never-ending uphill battle. Like, that's the point. If you're looking for easy breezy, casual page page turner, quick, simple, to the point that you will not like this book. You have to be dedicated to sticking with the characters, sticking with all three storylines. You have to be willing to like go back a few pages and be like, wait, okay, do I truly understand this? If I don't, I'm going to be even more confused moving forward. So like, I got to take my time. I have to, you're, you're honestly, your eyes have to adjust to the page because when's the last time you read a book that used three different fonts on a single page. Probably never. So at first glance, House of Leaves is very jarring and almost unappealing to the eye because you're just overwhelmed by text and bullet points and cursive. And oh, now now you're turning the book ups- upside down. And now you're reading on the left-hand side. And now you're reading on the right-hand side. It's like It's literally like a fucking verbal puzzle. So if you truly want a literary challenge, I have referred to House of Leaves as my Everest, my literary Everest, because it took me so, plus the book is like 600 pages. (laughs) 
So not only is it time consuming in the fact that you have to constantly move the book up and down and you have to go back pages, it's also like 600 pages. So by no means would it be a light, easy, breezy, casual read. But man, the impact it had on me as a reader life-changing. If I were to become a teacher in the next life and my subject was English, because remember in school how you had to read like To Kill a Mockingbird or Waiting for Godot or um, Of Mice and Men or um, House, what's what's that one? Lord of the Flies. Remember those books? I, as the teacher, would assign House of Leaves because I know, I know that it would be the one book that my students would remember forever. Plus, it would teach them this new way, this new format of storytelling, and it would just really fucking challenge them. So that's book number one. Book number two is, um, how would I describe it? pretty disturbing in its topic. Just its overall subject of cannibalism is disturbing to read about. So it's called Tender is the Flesh by Agustina Basterica. I believe it was originally written in uh, Spanish or Portuguese. I'm not 100% certain, so it has been translated into English. Um, I believe the author is Argentinian. There you go. So it takes place in Latin America, but what's happening is worldwide. So there is a virus that kills every single animal on the planet. You have no cows, you have no tigers, you have no bees, you have no fish, nothing. Every single animal is dead, which means that now every single human on the planet is forced almost to become vegan. So you, so not only are you not eating animals, but you cannot purchase animal byproducts. So there's no eggs, there's no butter, there's no yogurt. Um, you're vegan by force. And um, basically, if every single human were to become vegan at the exact same time, it would be unsustainable. And so as um, lawmakers realize that veganism is unsustainable for every single human for the rest of mankind, they decide to legalize cannibalism. So it is now legal to butcher humans the same way you butcher cows, pigs. They end up at a processing plant. You chop them apart. You can sell their skin for leather jackets. You can sell their organs to hospitals. You can Um, use them for meat. You can also raise humans on a farm the same way you raise, you know, cows and pigs and goats. You can, God, anything you can do to an animal, you can do to a human now. And it is entirely legal. So you end up meeting the main character named Marcos. Marcos was a butcher of animals. That That is his family's business. But now they call it the transition. So the transition from eating animal products to now eating human meat, the transition. So post-transition, Marcos has kept his job as a butcher. He is one of the best in his city, but now he butchers humans. So the first few chapters of this book are all are describing how humans end up at the butchering processing plant. And how there are all these stages in the butchering process. So stage one, 
um, is removing the human's vocal cords so that they don't scream, they don't cry, you can't hear the torture, the torment in their voice. So step one, remove their vocal cords so they are silent. Step two, you, you, uh, you shave them so there is no body hair. Step three, you knock them unconscious in a, uh, what's it called, humane, quote unquote humane way. And there's a chapter all about how humans are beaten in a way that they are unconscious but not dead because the second they're dead their meat is dying second by second so it's this perfect art between knocking a human unconscious but not killing them step three or four is the actual butchering step five is distributing their parts oh their legs go here their eyeballs go there oh their brains go here this client wants tongue this client wants feet this client wants kidney and then, oh my God, and it gets even more twisted when it comes to women. So women uh, are raped on a regular, consistent basis in order to provide fresh meat, aka babies, which is considered the finest delicacy of them all because babies are juicy and tender and soft and mushy. They don't have muscle. They don't have any body hair, right? Babies are considered the prime steak of the human world. So women are consistently raped to get pregnant. Oh, and then, and then to ensure that the women don't kill themselves or kill their babies because they know what's going to happen. That baby will, they'll give birth and that baby will probably be alive for 10 minutes and then it's dead and sold for meat. So to prevent the mothers from killing themselves or killing their their um, unborn babies, They cut off the women's legs and arms. uh, What's that called? There's a name for when both of your arms and both of your legs are missing. They do that to these women. So they are just literally lying torsos, lying on hay or in their stable, just waiting for that baby to be born. So think about it. You rape a woman to get her pregnant. Now that she's pregnant, you cut off her her limbs so that she cannot walk, she cannot move in any fashion. She just lays as a torso with her stomach and her breasts and um, she's laying on a table just waiting for that baby to be born and then the second it's born, it's fucking butchered. And then they are, women are milked the same way that cows are milked. Women's breasts are called udders the same way you have cow udders and pregnant women are are milked their breasts are hooked up to a machine that sucks the milk out and then of course that milk is sold as a delicacy it's 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 disgusting it's traumatizing it's disturbing but it also really is very specific i have a feeling this author almost must have spent months doing research, must must have gone herself to like butchering shops or meat processing um, companies to do the real research. Like how do you take this cow and how do you take it from farm animal to packaged at the grocery store? She must have done this research because the book is so detailed and so specific in the butchering process that you know, you end up learning a lot. And um, I, I, yes, in my life, I have considered veg, um, vegetarianism as well as veganism. And let me tell you, if there was ever a book that would completely 
make me commit to a vegan lifestyle, it is this one. Because what happens to these animals or what happens to these people who are being treated like animals is so disgusting. You drain their blood, you, God, you milk them and you artificially inseminate them. You know, you inject semen into the females, both cows and pigs. And in this case of the book, you inject um, human females with sperm just so they can have the kid. And then and then there's chemicals and then there's hormones. And uh, it. Um, I'll be honest with you, the book made me phys- physically nauseous because I'm trying to imagine, like, when's the last time I had a cheeseburger, like a beef cheeseburger? oh, that cow probably went through a very similar process to what I'm reading about in this book. Because, and for some reason, because it's happening to humans, it's 10 times more grotesque and disgusting than if it were happening to an animal. That, right, there's kind of that like disconnect. Like was as people, as humans buying meat at the grocery store, we're like, oh, it's, you know, it's just a cow, like whatever. But here in this book, it's like, oh, no, I'm actually eating another human. And this could actually happen to me. So, and the book does a great job of explaining, like, why some people are exempt from being butchered and eaten, why some people are qualified to be raised like horses and cows and pigs. It explains all that. Like, every question you have, like, wait, what happens to the rich or what happens to the poor or what happens to, oh, there's even a chapter about ethnicity and skin color. So the same way you build fur coats and fur jackets, there are certain colors of fur that are more appealing. Like someone wants an all black fur coat. Someone wants an all white fur coat. Someone wants cream. Someone wants tan, right? Same with human skin. There's um, a black person at the being butchered and one of the characters is like, oh, no, no, be very careful with the black skin because our client wants a pristine human skin leather jacket and they specifically want that human to have darker skin. Or with um, very fair people, they have to be 10 times more careful because white people, like extremely fair people, bruise more easily than a darker skinned person. You can see every bruise, every scrape, every cut on an extremely fair person. So when an extremely fair person ends up at the butcher shop, there are always specific instructions on how to handle this body because God forbid you leave any sort of bruise or mark or scratch or scrape, then that skin now becomes less lower quality and therefore the client will pay less for the skin because it has been damaged in some way. It is disgusting. And um, you also learn a lot about Marcos. He's the main butcher. You learn a lot about his personal life. So you really, you really, the same way you, so as, blah, 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 blah. Um, As readers, going back to House of Leaves really quickly, you, like I think I said this, you actually hate Johnny. You want to see Johnny just squirm and die and just go away. You have the exact opposite feelings from Marcos in Tender as the Flesh. You learn about his personal life. His uh, You learn about the troubles with his wife, with his child, his upbringing. You learn about the relationship with his sister, his father, who is um, in a, not a mental institution, 
but I think he has dementia. So you end up learning a lot about Marcos's personal life, which explains why he continues to lead the life of a butcher. Because yeah, he could have any other job. Like, just because we eat humans now, it's legal, doesn't mean that being a butcher or being in any way involved in that industry is mandatory. Absolutely not. You can still be a doctor. You can still be a journalist. You can still be a nurse. You can still be a fucking teacher. You can be any of those things. But be through learning about Marcus's personal life, you end up realizing like why he's still does the butchering even now that it's people. So you fall in love with Marcos. You end up feeling so much sympathy for him and love and almost admiration. Like, oh my God, how noble of you to have such a horrific job, but you're providing for your family and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You really fall in love with Marcos until the last five pages. And I will not tell you why. I will not tell you why in any way, shape, or form, because that is the biggest twist. And that almost shatters your heart as the reader. You have spent, you know, 200 pages loving Marcos and understanding him and having compassion, empathy, and sympathy. And then the last 10 pages of the book, you're like, wow, dude. Wow. Wow. I was wrong about you. You are a fucking dick. You are no better than anyone else. You're actually a shady motherfucker. You're a liar. You're a deceiver. You're a user. You're an abuser. You like those last five pages, you're just like, wow, dude. So that's that's how it's going to be, Marcos. That's that. That's how it's going to be. That's how it's going to be, Marcos. You're going to fucking do me dirty like that, you dog. He will do you dirty. And I will not explain why, because you're just like, fuck, fuck. No, it's almost like you, it's happening in slow motion. Like you're turning the page and you're like, OK, I, I kind of you're like, I kind of feel where this is going. And I don't but I don't believe it. I don't want to trust it because I love Marcos. And Marcos loves me. And he's a sweet guy. He's just trying to, like, take care of his family. You know what I mean? Desperate times call for desperate measures. He's just, like, you know, riding out the storm like all of us. No. No. He makes multiple conscious decisions towards the end. And you're just like, hmm. Okay. So I was wrong about you. You have fooled me, Marcos. And you just got to read the book to find out why that happens. What, what, what does he do? What does he do? You have to read Tender is the Flesh to find out cancers. That's all from me. If you want to follow me on Instagram at Sophie Radvan, the show Cancer Culture Pod. I would love it if you left the show a review um, on iTunes and we will talk on Monday. Have a great weekend. Bye.